It's time for another episode of the Infinite Loopback Podcast, an Apple-themed technology podcast with your hosts, Brian Baggett, Jim Graham, Brad Tarver, and Jason Young. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back. How's everybody doing today? Wonderful. Doing great. What's been going on with everybody? I just got over COVID. How'd that go for you? For the third time. That was going to be my question was, what number is this for you? My wife actually mentioned there's a new drug on the market called Paxlovid, and it's actually two drugs. You take three pills in the morning, three pills at night, and they have them packaged to where you take the two drugs correctly together in the intervals. So that's nice and convenient. But honestly, I was feeling a lot better within a day. I just didn't feel like total garbage for the other three or four days that I stayed home. I still had the sniffles and a little <coughs> kind of cough, but man, it really knocked it out of the park. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, my wife had the same exact experience with that when she got it nine months ago, and uh, that's what they gave her. And I think the key with that one is you got to get it early. Like, as soon as it's diagnosed, you got to get it in. Otherwise, if you've had it for two or three days, they just tell you that it wear its course. That's right. It's like Tamiflu with the flu in that regard. The only horrible side effect from Paxlovid is it makes a terrible metal taste in your mouth and it just stays with you you can chew all the gum you want whatever is sticking with you <laughs> like drinking orange juice out of an aluminum cup exactly it's pretty bad or drinking water out of a fresh cup out of the dishwasher <laughs> or drinking orange juice after brushing your teeth this is less pleasant than brushing your teeth and then drinking orange juice speaking of radio signals josh you moved from unify over to eero how'd that go well i did and long story short, I did finally get gigabit fiber to my home, which was fantastic. It's through our electricity co-op, and it's fantastic. I live in a split-level home, and I do have attic access, but it's in two separate areas, one over the garage and then one that I have to disassemble my master bedroom closet to get up into to try to get to the rest. And even then, I can't easily run networking cables, so mesh Wi-Fi is the only option I had. I took my two existing access points, set them up, had them in a line of sight, and it was suboptimal. Uh, Brad may correct me here if I'm wrong, which I'm wrong a lot. They don't really have any Wi-Fi 6 devices, the 6E, I think it is, that's the what 2.3 gigahertz bit a second bandwidth capabilities. They don't really have any of the more affordable access points. I'm just going to try Eero. They put it on sale. It's the Eero Pro 6E. I got a two-pack of them and uh, set it up. The setup was insanely simple, and pretty much it is the exact opposite of a Unify setup. Unify, you can tweak and change every single setting out there. Eero, it's plug the first one in. Sync with the app. Okay, good. Now, do you have another one? Okay, click it in. Take the phone near it. We found it. It's set up. Okay. You're good to go. And that's it. You can set up stuff like port forwarding and dynamic DNS. You can do a lot of those settings, but you sure don't have to. And it worked. Uh, it, speeds were double what I was getting over the previous Unify, even across the mesh. I did some speed testing. And on the previous Unify, I was getting across the mesh 150 to 200 megabit downloads a second. With the Unify, I'm getting sustained four to 500 megabit across the mesh. And evidently, I don't know why the Unify was having such an issue getting the proper back channel for the mesh. Evidently, this is using that 2.3 gigabit deal to, to push it through. And again, knock on wood, 
I've not had any issues. When I would play Rocket League online with the Unify, I would have hiccups about every five or six minutes. If somebody tries to download or buffer something, it would hiccup. And uh, yeah, it was, it's with the Eero, none of that. The reviews that I read of the Eero that said danger, danger with it is they've said the, it will try to smartly fix itself and make sure it's optimized. It will try to do weekly checks to optimize it. And there were multiple reviews that said the first week out of the box, it was golden. And after that first week, I went to crap and I have to reset it. I have to do a complete full reset, factory reset for it to work after a week. I'm sorry. That's what the reviews said that someone said they have to reset it after a week or that's your experience. There were a couple of Amazon reviews that said, I love it, but I have to do a factory reset every week because after the week, it tries to re-optimize itself and it just does a very poor job. It, it, it does something, changes channels or whatnot, and it just completely throws it in the loop. He said, but if I factory reset it, it does fine. With Amazon, I've got a 90-day return policy, I believe, on it. And so far, again, knock on wood, I'm loving it. I love the fact that I come home, it just works, and I don't have to tinker with anything. So you were saying that there was no Unify Wi-Fi 6 out there, but I've had AP6s for a year and a half. All right. The way that I read it, because I did research it a little bit, they have an enterprise AP that actually supports the 2.3 gigabit a second connections. And the whole reason I was looking into it in the beginning is because I said, if it can be smart enough to handle one of those bands and keep it at that strictly for the mesh backline, that's exactly what I need. And just keep that dedicated to the mesh. I don't know why the Unify never did it. There's an excellent chance it's my user error, but it's why I don't do IT for a full-time living anymore. Because when I get home, I don't like troubleshooting. I don't want to fix these things. I just want to sit on the couch and have the Wi-Fi work. And with the Eero, it does it pretty well. So you did say, Brad will probably tell me I'm wrong or whatever it is you had said a few minutes ago. It does actually use dedicated back channels. And if you had a Wi-Fi analyzer, with a spectrum analyzer built in, it would show you that. You would actually see the BSSID, which is what looks like a MAC address associated with each of your named SSIDs, okay? So say all of your BSSIDs end in 00A6. So your, say your production hoagie whatever Wi-Fi would be called 00A6. And you would see another hidden channel that's not broadcasting a name and it would be like 00A7, but it would also be using the 5 gigahertz band, but it's not one that you're actually communicating on. It's using that solely for the mesh. Okay. Right. I have learned on that then. So again, I'm happy to be corrected. All right. So guys, I've got a funny story. I had my first experience with an older Eero system. Well, first Eero system, period. One of my neighbors, a good friend of mine, called me up recently. He was like, I need you to come up here and rip out all this stuff. My Wi-Fi sucks. It sucked for a long time. He's like, I just get intermittent performance. I get drops. I go up there and look, and I have never seen this setup before, and I'm still mind blown that it actually worked. He was triple natted. So he used to have Comcast switched to AT&T Fiber, and so his setup was a AT&T router routing to Eris router, that was his old cable modem router that was routing to his Eero. So he had three separate internal subnets going on. And secure. <laughs> his performance was terrible. I was surprised anything worked. But what was crazy, it would work for a minute. So you'd get 400 meg down and then it would be 85K. It was just the craziest thing. 
So I ripped out the Eris. I turned the router off and used his Eero as the router. So I just passed through from AT&T over to it. And man, he's called me multiple times. Oh my God, my Wi-Fi is so supercharged here. And so he didn't end up having to spend a single penny, but come to find out it had been that way in his house for nearly three years. Oh dear God. I'm with you. The fact that he was able to do anything is a miracle. But what was funny to me though, was none of the other devices were throwing any kind of like error logs or anything that I could visibly see. Like some of them would absolutely tell you, Hey, are you sure you want to do this? This is going to induce a double NAT situation. And it was like, I've never seen a triple NAT before, but, but the reason why he didn't really notice it during the day is because he was hardwired in his office. So he works from home. So he was on ethernet. So he wasn't going through any of that junk. But anyhow, he's all supercharged, didn't have to spend a dime. And as a sign of thanks, he brought us some chicken parm and a squash casserole. Oh, that's a little underpaid, but at the same time, it, it works. He shares his $1,000 scotches with me, so we, we don't keep score. No, you don't. Not if they're sharing the $1,000 scotches. You know, I had that uh, the same thought of maybe ditching Unify for Eero at one time as well. But over the last couple of months and after Brad did some tuning for me, I've had really good experiences with it. I'm consistently getting between five and 700 down from most of the places that I am inside the house. And I'm sure with the way things are around here for my mesh, I only have one access point that's not on Ethernet. So that's the mesh point itself. But everything else is all my other access points are. So they're scattered. I have three or four throughout the house and they're arranged just so, and it works out pretty well to be able to do it in that way. And I get great speeds with the Unify. The one thing that I don't really like about the Unify at all is the fact that the firmwares are usually not tested very well. So if a new firmware comes out, you're usually better off waiting a while before you do it at the very least for the APs. Now I haven't had for the switches, I haven't had any issues there. Those seem to be pretty fine. It's hard to mess up switch routing, but for the APs, you know, I've had some really wonky results and it just sucks. I wouldn't even have a mesh at all if it wasn't for the doorbell. And the fact that I have something that's on the outside of my house, on the other side of a brick wall that's having to transmit. And I just wanted to have an access point as close as I could to that thing. And I don't have an access point that would be wired in that area because, well, actually it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to do it. <laughs> if I had to do it all over again, I would probably get a drop put in over there in that formal living room area that's on the other side of doorbell, but it would be cost prohibitive to do that today. So the mesh does it pretty well. And the nice thing about my situation is that I have two access points that it meshes with. So one is directly upstairs in the master bedroom. One is in a not too obstructed across the house on the same floor, sitting in a pantry of all places, which had an ethernet drop put in the pantry. So as one does. And it's worked out pretty well, which also gives me good coverage in the backyard, which is an added bonus. I'm thankful for the uh, godfather of Wi-Fi, Mr. Brad Tarver. She made me an offer I couldn't refuse when he upgraded his stuff. So I got his old Unify APACs when he upgraded to, I guess, the uh, Unify 6 setup. And so now I've got great Wi-Fi all over the house. So I previously only had two APs. Put one in the basement, didn't really need it, but because I got three extras from Brad, it's great. And then we traded out a couple of them. So I got Wi-Fi everywhere. So you just got to watch out when you come over here. You might actually sit down on access point. That's a bit. He's bathed in it. One day I'm going to be the first one to suffer from Wi-Fi cancer from so much radiation coming off the Unifies. 
So Jason, you recently moved into the world of the Sonos and you got yourself a Sonos move. Tell us about it because we know Jim has done the same thing as well. And since he's not here this week, tell us about your experience with that and the HomePods. Yeah, I've got a couple of OG HomePods that just over the years, man, they have just gotten worse and worse as far as home automation stuff. Like you could stand a foot from it and say the same exact words, the same exact way four times and get different results as far as like just trying to turn on lights and that kind of stuff. But one of the things I found with just like the old school little Alexas that were around the house was those worked 99% of the time on voice commands. But the audio coming out of the OG HomePods is still outstanding. So decided that I wanted to try, based on uh, Jim's recommendation, the Sonos Move, because it's got Alexa and that was going to be our primary downstairs automation command center. So I will say, the audio quality of the Move doesn't hold a candle to the OG HomePod. I don't know if it's more drivers or more speakers or better bass or better highs. One of the things I mentioned to you guys prior to the show in some Telegram chats is that the OG HomePod is a 360-degree speaker. The Move, because it has that back handle and a place for you to plug in a USB and the power button on the back and all that, it's really about a 270, maybe a 300 degree speaker. So where I've got it sitting in my house, it's sitting on the edge of a countertop and that countertop essentially touches three rooms. It's kitchen, breakfast room, and living room. So I find that if you're cooking in the kitchen, with the move pointed towards the breakfast room and the den, it's very muffled. The way to fix that is it's a move. You pick it up, you turn it around, you flip it towards you. And so I found that a little bit frustrating to begin with. And now I pick up that move all the time. This morning wasn't feeling great. You know, hadn't been sleeping well, decided I need some vitamin D, grabbed that thing, took it out on the back porch, was able to sit out in the sunshine and really kind of enjoy some good music. So at the $399 price point, I initially felt like it wasn't worth the money that I spent because I wasn't putting a lot of value on the move aspect of it. Like I thought, how many times am I actually going to grab this thing and take it with? Well, the answer is in the you know last week, I probably grabbed it and moved it six or eight times. And each time I do it, I'm like, okay, this is actually pretty convenient. So then I started thinking about my wife and I like to go camp and we spend a lot of time outdoors. And so how nice is it going to be to be able to go to a campsite and be able to airplay directly to something or download your title playlist offline and be able to stream right to it? So I'm seeing a lot of value in it, but jury's still out on the sound quality. It does sound good. So if you're not an audiophile and you just want good, crisp, clean sound, it's a really nice device. If you're expecting the HomePod quality as far as audio, you're going to be sorely mistaken. But the good thing is that we ended up taking the old OG HomePod that was in the kitchen, moved it to the bedroom where I already had a, another OG HomePod. So now I've got them set up as a stereo pair upstairs, which is, man, two HomePods blasting at the same time in the same room. It is a really immersive sound. So overall, I think it's a great product. The one weirdest thing that I've never had happen before that I ended up finding on Reddit was I could not get it to work out with Alexa or any of the streaming services initially. Like I was just getting weird things that would tell me that I would enable the Alexa skill and clearly it was enabled on Amazon. It showed it was enabled. I got like the email that told me, hey, congratulations, the Alexa skill is set up or the Sonos skill is set up for Alexa. And then I found on Reddit that uh, somebody had to actually reboot their internet gateway. 
So I ended up having to reboot. I didn't reboot any Wi-Fi access points or switches or anything like that, but I ended up rebooting the AT&T device. And as soon as I did, everything started working. That is really weird. Almost as weird as the problem I had with IPv6 this week that Jason helped me solve, where all of a sudden I got this new M2 Pro Mac Mini and I noticed that it wasn't blocking ads. It was bypassing my pie hole. And I'm thinking that's weird. And it's it seemed to be some of my other devices were doing the same thing. I don't know when it exactly happened, but because I don't normally read a lot of stuff on the web, every once in a while I'd see ads and I'm like, well, why am I seeing ads? I shouldn't be seeing ads. And it turns out that it really prefers IPv6, both macOS and iOS. And if there's something that's advertising a DNS server over that IPv6, it's going to take it every time. So it was, and I think I have IPv6 turned off on my pie hole. I guess I could have just turned that on. Maybe that would have solved it. But I just thought that was really weird that it would have, it would do that. But once I disabled it on my AT&T router, rebooted, boom, no problems. So I thought that was strange. So essentially you had two separate DHCP servers on the same subnet, one that was sending out IPv6 and one that was sending out IPv4. And I had run into that problem before. And so as soon as you had told me the scenario, you went and looked and sure enough, that was the exact same problem. So I was glad that I had seen it before and we were able to get you fixed in a few minutes. The funny thing is I had DHCP turned completely off on the AT&T. Like it, it hasn't run in forever because I had delegated that to the Raspberry Pi. And I knew that you couldn't have two DHCPs on the same subnet. So I had turned that off a long time ago. It was actually more arcane than that in the sense that the fact that it had, even on the, just the fact that there was a, how can I put this? The IPv6 of the AT&T router DNS should not have been propagated at all because I wasn't advertising DHCP from the AT&T device. Do you know what I mean? DHCP was turned completely off. It wasn't supposed to be running at all because it was only it's only like a binary on off. It maintains it as a separate daemon on it, though. It must, but it didn't seem like it had a setting for IPv6 DHCP. It just, it was like all one or the other. And I turned it off and I was like, okay. And you know, seeing a DNS server and IPv6 format pop up was like, okay, that's really weird. The reason it's doing that is because they are passing IPv6 in from the outside and the router is set up to pass it in through the firewall to your devices because IPv6 is so bountiful in its address space, it's not a problem with giving all 1,000 devices within your house an IPv6 address. So that IPv6 is actually being passed through from AT&T. It's not actually coming from your device. Your device is just acting as a relay for it. For those who may have found this problem, there is a separate page. So when you log into the AT&T router, when you turn off DHCP, it looks like you're turning off DHCP. But if you look across the top, two tabs over, there's an IPv6 tab. You actually have to go to that and turn off DHCP for IPv6. So there's no like single kill switch for all of DHCP on the AT&T router. You got to actually turn it off in two places. Well, whatever I did, I turned off IPv6 on something. I thought I turned it off completely as an address space. Because it's weird when you go to the main summary page, when you look for DHCP, it says DHCP off or whatever, you know, and it's like, okay, well, DHCP is off. And in my IPv4 space, that's never been an issue. So that was sort of a weird uh, bug. Well, being able to toggle it off should, as a blanket, turn it off everywhere. So Brad, tell us about your locks and keypad situation you've got going on over there. So I've been buying these level deadbolts and they recently made it to where you can 
use them beyond just home kit, but that's really what they're for. They're just a battery powered little deadbolt. You take the outside hardware off of your deadbolt, put this in, replace the ins innards of your deadbolt, put this guy in, and then put your outer hardware that matches your decor, be it oil rubbed bronze or brushed nickel or whatever. So you don't have to change the way your hardware looks, which is pretty cool if you live with a woman, especially. So they recently came out, the brand name is called Level. You can find them on Amazon or on their website, but they recently came out with a new keypad that I just need to mount on the door facing. So there have been times that for whatever reason, my side deadbolt is not addressable through HomeKit. It just happens randomly, but it's what's coincidental is that it seems to happen whenever you really need it to work. So like the cleaning people will show up and the lady will send me a text, say I'm here and I can't unlock the door. So this new thing allows you to create guest codes and codes for everyone in your home, etc., and it makes a local connection because you're going to put the keypad right next to the door where that deadbolt is. So it's actually talking over some other protocol. It's not talking to each other over HomeKit. So I just feel like that's a more reliable way to allow me to manage it, but still address it through HomeKit if need be. And all of your codes and stuff that you set up for your family members, et cetera, are all done through the Level app. It's just pretty exciting. I thought it was neat and it's foolproof. You have to obviously be using HomeKit for your home infrastructure versus Alexa or Google, but it's dummy proof in, in its operation. So that's nice. Oh, I have no doubt I could find a way to break it. You know, a few years back, I put the Yale locks, I think around 2018, 2019, something like that. And that was the biggest pain in the butt to get going. You're talking about matching the decor. Unfortunately, well, fortunately for me, the previous owners of the house did not pay attention to that. So some were like brushed nickel and some were bronze and some were, it was just, it was a mess. So at least I had that going for me. I wasn't getting any pushback on that. Not like I would on the light fixtures. Oh God, that was a whole thing. But just the thing in my situation that was annoying is that when they put the doors in, they did such a shoddy job of cutting the holes for the deadbolt itself and making it line up with the door jam. It was such a pain. So I went out and bought one of those drill bits. That's like the big deadbolt drill bit. I still have, I think I have a couple of them and I'm over there remaking the hole inside of itself, getting in there, having the hand sand and get it down. It was such a rough cut. It was like, how did they ever get a lock in here? This was terrible. But once I got it done, I got to say those Yale locks, I have never had any issue with HomeKit and those Yale. They've been probably the most rock solid devices. Well, that's good to know. That I have. The only thing that I don't like about them. Yeah, I mean, they, they are solid. They don't upgrade the firmware very often. I use Controller for HomeKit, which is a great app, by the way. It's like 25 bucks. But they even have a maintenance section for HomeKit, and it'll show you every firmware for every device that you have that's out of date that needs updating, and you can go and do it in one fell swoop. In addition to being able to back up your HomeKit configuration, so in case you had to wipe out your entire thing, and recreate it, you can do that. I have a lot of good third-party home apps that I've discovered over time. Home Plus is another one. Home Plus 6, I think, is the latest version that uh, I use on my watch for making some quick shortcuts to my most used scenes and other things. And that's how I've fixed a lot of the problems. And when Jason was talking about his reliability issues with HomeKit, the scenes, and the HomePods, I've had various issues. I've made no... I haven't hidden that at all. I've talked about that. But my experience is usually pretty good. Because I've taken my most common things that I do and I make them into scenes. 
And then like every day when at sunset, the lights automatically turn on They and they go to the same pattern. And at a certain time, the house goes into lockdown mode and every lock locks itself. The garage closes itself. The temperature adjusts itself. It's all automated, which is great. I even have a light that's a Lutron that doesn't even have a switch where I can reach it. It's actually in the attic and it's controlled completely by Siri. And that got annoying to go, hey, turn the light off, turn the patio light on, turn it off. So I made an automation where if I unlock the back door and it's after sunset, but before sunrise, it'll turn the light on. And the moment you lock the door, it'll turn the light off. So basically I turned one HomeKit device into a switch for another HomeKit device based on the time of day. And that has saved me. When I have to let the dog out to go pee, it's the greatest thing to be able to just not have to, if the wife's asleep, not tell Siri to turn on a light, I can just turn the knob and it'll do it. Sometimes it forgets in the morning, like if it's after midnight and you let the dog out and you let it back in, the light will stay on. I got to go double check because there's probably something wrong in my code, but the condition's probably wrong. But I figured out a way to make a lot of those things a lot more reliable just by automating a lot of that stuff so that I call a single scene and then I go change the scene and I'm not doing individual devices. And that's helped me out. One of the things I wanted to circle back on, you were talking about Yale. So I want to give them a quick shout out. You had recommended the same lock to me that you have at your house. I was, I don't know, maybe five or eight days out of warranty when my Wi-Fi module died. So there's only, I think, like a one-year warranty on those things. And I'd spent 230 bucks or whatever the, the cost was. And so I called them up and they were like, well, it's out of warranty. I was like, hey, should this thing really be dying after a year? And so they were just polite and they were like, hey, you know what? If you want to, you can prepay for a new HomeKit module. We'll send it to you when you get it, send the other one back. And so they gave me a refund. So that was awesome. So shout out to those guys. But also I got to throw a shout out to Homebridge. So whoever is writing the Ring doorbell plugin, it's actually working great. So it had worked intermittently, but I'd have some problems with it every now and then. But now it's so great that we predominantly only watch TV through Apple TV. We've got a billion streaming sources. Everything is controlled through the Apple TV. So it's so nice now to actually get a live view on the television of who's at your front door at any given time. So uh, that's a pretty cool setup. Yeah, I've talked about it before plenty of times that I don't use the native integration for HomeKit that comes with the total control thermostats that I have, which support HomeKit allegedly. And I use them through HomeBridge because the API and HomeBridge that they're using is much more reliable than whatever programmer who wrote the Total Connect app or Recidio or whatever they're calling it now has done a worse job than the guy who's maintaining the free Residio plugin inside of Homebridge. It's the best. But yeah, those Yale locks are pretty good. The batteries last a really long time. I hate that I have to change batteries on it. I think when I was in the hospital for three months, one of the th first things I did when I came home was like change the batteries and all my locks and make sure the firmware on the lights were up to date, all sorts of weird nerd stuff like that. Other than that, it's really not bad. If you buy rechargeables, you didn't have some in the charger, you're good to go for months and months at a time. So it's wonderful. I could use codes for cleaning lady and things like that, but they generally just text me and I hit a button and they're let in. I've never had a situation where I've tried to lock or unlock through HomeKit and it did not work. It's usually the best. It's very rock solid, reliable. So very happy about that. It's only happened once that I can remember. It's just very annoying and very prominent in my brain. Yeah. My sprinkler system is like that. I've had that for years on Siri and that's great product. I can't even remember the name of it at the moment. I've talked about it so many times, but I haven't had to use it because it's winter. So I got to use my uh, irrigation system when I was moving my uh, smoker. The smoker's got like, a little drip pan up under it, right? So 
when I moved it, all that barbecue grease and chicken wing grease and all that went right on the back porch. So I actually had them off of my irrigation system run a pipe up from near the basement up to the back deck. So I actually have a spigot on the back deck now that is part of the irrigation system. When I needed to clean off that uh, juice that was on the uh, floor before the dogs got to it, right from my iPhone, I was able to turn on that zone, open the spigot, clean the whole back porch, and turn it right back off with my iPhone. And I was like, okay, this is definitely some Inspector Gadget stuff. And Brad just reminded us in the chat, it's Rachio, Rachio, Rachio. So that's what it is. That's the same one I've yeah, got. Yeah, it's a great product, but uh, the fact that it's right next to a concrete wall, the furthest area of my basement, like it's hidden away. So that may contribute to the Wi-Fi unreliability issues, but the app always works fine. It's just HomeKit. It sometimes doesn't. So I just set up the automations through that and it's usually fine. Speaking of Rachio, the way that I acquired mine was my house is about 16, 17 years old and it had all the original controllers in the yard and valves and whatnot. Three or four of them completely locked up. Initially replaced all those. And then once we replaced those, we found out that uh, one of them may not have been broken, that the controller that I had like a bad relay and it wasn't activating it. And so anyhow, I hadn't planned on spending the money on the Rachio and I hadn't actually paid the guy for the other work that had been done. And so just in conversation, we were shooting the bull and he saw that I had some gun stuff around the house and I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting my first AR. I think I really wanted LaRue Tactical. I was like, oh man, that's great. And we talked for a few minutes and little did he know that I had a brand new unfired one in the safe. When we were done, I was like, hey man, you said you wanted a LaRue and this is the same value as the bill. And he was like, are you serious? You trade me that gun? That my uh, whole sprinkler repairs and Arachio was uh, traded out for a LaRue Tactical AR-15. God bless the second amendment. That's awesome. Amen. Let's see what else we got on the docket. I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about some digital housekeeping. So I've had a ton of tasks that I sit down and I know that I need to do, but I just never get around to doing. So I made a list a couple of weeks ago of things that I needed to do. And I came up with about a dozen or so things that could really benefit my life. Before I get into it, is this a problem you guys have? Do you find yourself having to deal with your technical debt from years past? Absolutely. I'm looking down your list here and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, all that sounds very familiar to me. Mine typically just gets dumped into a big folder on my QNAP as it gets cleaned or whatever. It just gets dragged into there and then it gets shot into Backblaze. So I don't know. It may never get deleted. Yes, yeah, so I'm chuckling here where you put delete slash archive a ton of mail. So I had not been using the mail app on my iMac. My personal email is hosted with Office 365. And so their Outlook web access interface is so good that I'm 90% of the time using it, using the mail client on an iPhone or an iPad, but I would use the web browser on a Mac. So I finally just, I'll set up mail. I've had that account since 2015 and I don't delete anything. So I've got thousands and thousands of messages of spam, but it's so much easier for me to be able to have that old archive of emails and be able to look stuff up. So I actually recently had to look up an old license key, like the company had changed their systems and didn't have record of the license key. And it was a lifetime license key that I'd bought. And so I was able to go back and find an email from 2017 where I bought it, sent it to them, and they issued me a new license key. That's how they get you. I did want to ask, because I'm pretty certain in this room with all of us with our email, we don't keep it an inbox at zero because it's impossible. 
but we keep our unread count at zero. Out of curiosity, oh no, I see Brad shaking his head. My unread count needs to be at zero. That little badge drives me bananas. I'm the same exact way. So you got a uh, support member here on that one. I cannot go to All right. inbox this guy. Prozac keeps me from obsessing about that. Well, then let me ask you this. Am I the only one that turns the badge off? Probably, sir. You're the only smart one. You're much smarter than me about it. I just don't see it. I just don't look at it. I love my wife. But when she shows me something on her phone and I see her home screen and I see that badge on mail, she's at six digits at this point, I think. I know she's well over 65,000, and I think she's hit the six-digit mark finally. And it just, hearing you talk about the archive mail, my Gmail accounts and my work account is chock full. I had to upgrade the storage on my work account just so, because I really don't need to delete anything for that exact reason, Jason. I never know when I might need to find this Toyota Bulletin from six years ago. But uh, my wife's, it's just, even then, I see you looking at the badge. I was not looking, honey. I was just glancing. I'm sorry. I'm not going to shame you about reading everything. Just, it's fine. She just knows you're judging her. (laughs) So instead you just shame her on a podcast on the World Wide Web. Got it. Hey, if she listens to this thing, I'll be amazed. The other thing that I've been meaning to do forever is get all of my passwords consolidated into one thing. And I've done a really good job of that because my wife and I share one password, not that we have one password for everything. We the app one password. If you're listening to this, you probably know when I say one password, what I'm referring to. So I've done a good job at consolidating a lot of those logins into a shared vault that we both use and it works out fine, but I still have some legacy cruft that's in keychain. And I was just checking before the show started and they have, if you're on Mac OS 15 or iOS 15, one or the other, they will allow you to go ahead and export all of your passwords into a CSV and you can automatically import them. So it might be a, an easy way to go ahead and do that. I really have no excuse for not doing it at this point. And then just go ahead and turn off a keychain on all devices, just save to one password instead and use one password only because that drives me nuts of having to have that. And if you're on a Mac, it's the worst if you have them both turned on because their dialogues will override each other. It's not like on iOS where you pick one or the other and say, oh, look from here. It'll sit on top of, and the Safari one will not go away. One password will be behind it. It's very annoying. It's a favored nation status over everything else, which is a big problem. The deleting and archiving a ton of mail, I had a solution for that. This worked really well for 25 years. Whereas I have an email forwarding service that I paid for many years. Brad uses them, Jim uses them. And it's a virtual email address, but you can pipe it to different email accounts. Email had tons of infinite storage. So every mail sent to that address gets also copied automatically to the Gmail account, which I don't like Gmail. I don't want to use Gmail. So I keep it that saved off as like a permanent archive. So if I find myself in the situation that Jason's in, I can simply go into my Gmail and search for every email that I've ever gotten. Over time, it's going to run out at some point. I know Google, oh, we keep extending it, but no, not forever. And certainly P.O. Box, who I use, doesn't do that. So I need to go in because I don't delete anything. Usually I'll just read it and move on. I just, I don't care. But after so many years, I'm like 10% full or something, which is not a big deal, right? I'm 90% empty. There's so many things sitting in there that it's like, I could just get rid of a lot of this because I never go back and reference almost any of this. Now, there are times that I've been able to save my butt by going back and looking at something from years ago, but it's so rare that I just, I want to get rid of a bunch of that stuff or at least archive it or something. Let's see what else. I'm trying to find a way to automate updates in my household for the Apple devices. I know this is very much a first world problem, but I don't want to pay for something like Jamf or something like that. But every time that there's an update, it's nine HomePods and five Apple TVs and three Macs and two iPhones and five iPads and 
it becomes a lot to keep things up to date. There was an update last week where there were a couple of zero day vulnerabilities. So you definitely want to keep this stuff up to date and do it quickly. I really want them to do for everything like they've done for the home pods. The home pods are great, right? You go into the home app, you go to speakers and TVs and all of your speakers are there. And if you start downloading on one of your home pods, it'll start downloading to all of them. And you can pretty much just upgrade all from the home app. It's painless. But the TVs, we've talked about this before in previous episodes. I have them set to automatically update. They never do. I've tested it before where I just left it there for weeks or months. And nope, I just leave one of those TVs out of date. Never updates. Never has the entire time that I've owned an Apple TV for, since 2010 or whenever they came out. I just want to be able to push one button when there's a new update and just update everything. And I may have to break down and do something for device management if I find something that's cheap enough. So if there's any suggestions, if anybody's using anything, if anybody knows of anything, it would be really nice because I hate running around. I know Jim has mocked me before. Oh, Brian's going to tell us all about how you have to upgrade 50 devices. But it's true. It's a pain in the butt to have to go and do all of these, even when you have a lot of time like I do. That sounds like something that would be nice for an iOS 17 or an iOS 18. For those of us that are set up on a family share, I'm the admin for my family. I handle all the devices. If you go to Find My, it shows all of your Apple devices listed there. Like you said, it's there. that would be something nice, especially for the zero-day stuff that really needs to be pushed to it. I'm kind of with you. I don't know why they wouldn't do it, but it'd be really nice if they would. I know there's stuff out there that does it. I get ads for them. I've seen ads for them. I just have to find the thing that's not going to kill me on a per seat. And it's not, it's one of those things where it's annoying, but it's not annoying enough that I want to spend any significant amount of money on it. But I would like to be able to, because when my wife comes home, our, her work hours are erratic and I don't want to have to grab her phone and update her phone and take, updating the watch takes forever. So it's always a hassle to get her stuff, her last two devices that are always on her upgraded. Whereas I can get everything else in the house. It's time consuming. What does Jamf cost? There's a cheaper one than Jamf Pro. It's like Jamf Now or something. It's like $2 a device, but it's per month. And they give you a few, they give you a few free though. I think Jamf was the one that I really took a serious look at. One of the ones that I looked at had a several seat that would almost cover it. And then it was like two or three bucks a device to do it. I think the last time I looked at it. There's another one called Jump Cloud that I think does your first 10 for free. So you could always try it on 10 devices in your house and see what you think. And then I don't know how they do it beyond that. If they let you buy 10 more or something or a la carte one at a time over 10 or something. Yeah, I think I'm going to give that a shot. It would be great if we could find an open source, somebody, you know, something somebody's coded out on GitHub and that would be awesome. Apple makes Apple Configurator 2, which does a lot of, you can create a lot of profiles and do things like that. But, and I know Apple, I think has a, an enterprise option that you can pay them. I think they have an enterprise device manager. Yeah. You have to actually create a business account through them. You have to have like a Duns and Bradstreet number and all these other things to be able to use their MDM product. And even that doesn't even have all of the features. It just gives them the backend infrastructure. You still have to have an MDM that runs on the front end, like IBM's not Moz360 or Champ. It's a two steps or two layers in that cloud. Ugh. Okay, so that's not even worth it. It's messy. We've done it for several car dealerships around Mississippi. Let's see. Cleanup Cruft and iCloud folders is something that I have to do too. I have files scattered to and fro. The only time in my life I ever had this figured out was for a brief time in 2002, like 20 years ago, I had this figured out, had this nice hierarchy, and then I moved to a different type of computer and then everything just went to crap and I've never put it back. 
So I need to straighten that out a little bit. Something where I can search for something and search by metadata. I need to use tags and files. I don't do that. It's, I need to really get organized a little bit because there are times I want to find something and I absolutely can't. I really need to get photos cleaned up. I pay for a Lightroom subscription. I need to start using that. That would be great. Let's see. On the more morbid end, when I had my little uh, accident a few years ago, my wife was in a smart house by herself where things were just doing things on their own schedule. The lights would turn on and off. The temperature would change itself without her. She'd try to change it. It would change itself back. The house would go into lockdown mode at night if she's out taking out the garbage while I was in the hospital or whatever. And it's 1159 and she should, oh, it's midnight. And she sees the garage door start to close and the lights turn off and the doors start locking. And she had to, her and the dog have, well, they have to go running like Indiana Jones underneath the garage door and you go sliding like in Raiders of the Lost Ark and try not to get crushed. But even though she knows all the codes to get in, she claims she doesn't, but she does. But it's still a pain. So I did promise her that I would make a training video. You may remember me from such films as, and go ahead and make her a video of, here's how you have to control this in the event that I'm no longer on this earthly plane. So I do plan on doing that. Dip, dive, dodge, and dash, and dip. <laughs> If you're reading this, I'm in the great beyond, and here's how you stop the temperature, because I know you're always cold. Talking about things having a mind of their own and her not understanding where it's coming from. I don't know why it reminds me of a funny story about when I first got my BMW 540. Several years back, I bought an E39 540 V8 six-speed manual car. It was a hoot, right? But I'd owned it like two days. Didn't know much about it. I had already, before I took possession of it, upgraded all the suspension, exhaust. So it was a hot rod. So I was taking it out for its first paces of really either some good curvy, windy mountain roads up here in North Georgia. And I go hard into a corner and I keep keys and pocket knife in my left front pocket. And I go hard into a corner and somehow I hit the memory seat number three setting. And apparently the previous owner had that for a nap time. So it would push the seat all the way back and then lay the back of it down. So I'm in the middle of a corner. Way faster than I should have been in the middle of North Georgia mountains. And this car is trying to kill me because the seat's going backwards and laying it down. Oh, and it was a, a clutch car. So I'm having to like slide up in the seat because I, although I'm 6'1", I got the torso of a 6'6 guy and the legs of a 5'6 guy. And I couldn't reach the pedals in the middle of the corner. Wow. You went into quagmire mode in the, uh, in the car. Get <laughs> But yeah, oh, the other technology that I've been playing with for the last couple of weeks is Raycast. If you're familiar with Alfred, I've been using Alfred for, I don't know, 10, 11 years. And Alfred's great, does a lot of things. I have some coworkers actually who have written some pretty gnarly workflows inside of Alfred that dealt with our sort of wonky VPN at one time. And plus I've used it as, an, as a replacement for Text Expander for forever because Text Expander a very simple utility, and it went back in 2015, 2016, it went to a software-as-a-service model, which we want a minimum of those types of things in our life. Something that's expanding text is one of those things where it's like, this is a utility. This is not, I don't need you to add features to this. It does one very specific thing. That's all it needs to do. That's all I'm using it for. I'm not an enterprise customer. I don't need any extra features. I, don't, I want to pay for it once, maybe once per Mac version. That's fine. But uh, when I was trying to get away from that, because I was using an old version of Text Expander, I realized, hey, Alfred can do this. And I'd moved all my snippets into Alfred. I use that for all my text expansion. But I've been hearing a lot of stuff about Raycast. And Raycast is very comparable to that. But what's really nice about it is that there's this huge developer community. It's very API driven. 
So there are a ton of plugins. Like think of if you've ever had to use Slack, one of the things that makes Slack great when you compare it to something like Teams is that the number of integrations for Slack, I don't know if it's still this way, but that was one of the things that made me like it over Teams was that there was just tons of developer-based integrations for Slack. Like I know there are for Teams, but back in the day, it was no contest because everything, the API on it was magnificent. Raycast has an API first type of application and there's so many interesting plugins. You could spend an entire day. When I first installed it and was trying it out, it was like I was sitting there and I'm just going through their store and it was dozens upon dozens. Oh, that looks neat. That looks neat. That looks neat. I'll add that plugin. I couldn't tell you right now how much added extra functionality I've stuck into this thing and I'm still learning it. But right now I still have Alfred running on the same Mac, but I had to change the keys so that the keys that I used for Alfred are now the keys that I use for Raycast. I have that muscle memory of, I think it's like option key, option a space was Alfred for me for the longest time. So now I have that for Raycast and I'm trying to use that instead and I'm digging it. I need to devote a little more time to it to get a little more serious with it, but I think it seems to be a little more flexible. And certainly the developer community around it is much greater. We're talking about not minding the minor expense for paying for things that you find mission critical. I broke down today and actually I signed up for Telegram Premium. I don't know that I will use any of the features of Telegram Premium, but it was on sale 40% off for $39.99 for a year. And so I have gotten so much use over the years out of Telegram without ever giving them a penny. The four or five of us have used it extensively. When we canceled our Dropbox subscriptions, we were able to upload podcast episodes to each other through Telegram. I've got several gun groups that I'm a part of that are discount groups. So they blow things out or do group buys. So I have gotten a ton of use and a ton of utility and save money because I utilize Telegram. So today I felt obligated to throw them a couple of twenties and tell them thanks. I thought about doing that myself. I know Brad's been using it for a long time. We've used Telegram for, I don't know, nine years, maybe at this point, I think we moved from Slack and GroupMe back in 2015, 2016, something like that. And we've been on Telegram ever since, and it's been rock solid. It's been reliable. I use it for a ton of stuff myself and it's been really good. Maybe yeah, we should use that to replace Skype when we're doing this call. We could do it. We can do video and audio calls as well. So. Yeah, it's worth a shot. Hell, we could use FaceTime for that if we really wanted to. I think that's about all that I have. Do you guys have anything that you want to talk about? I did finally receive my my Canon R7 today. I hadn't had much of a chance to play with it or kick the tires with it, but I got to play with it at lunch. It's a huge upgrade over my SL2. I'm blind as a bat, so now that the entire viewfinder is autofocus, hopefully I'll be able to do a little better, and it's Got a better burst mode. My son now making the high school tennis team. I'm hoping I'll be able to get some decent shots out of it. You mentioned, are we watching any TV shows right now? So I got three that in the last six months, I've really taken a strong liking to. If you guys haven't watched Mayor of Kingstown, it is outstanding. It's in the middle of season two right now. That show is crazy good. Tulsa King. Is that the one with Sly Stallone? No, that's what I'm talking about now. Tulsa King is the one that is Sly Stallone, and it is probably his best role he is so comfortable in that role. He's so believable. He's not puffy and looking like he's about to die or anything like it. His health and wellness looks pretty good, but it is like on Copland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the last one that I've really enjoyed uh, this season is 1923, which is one of the prequel shows for Yellowstone that's got uh, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Believe it or not, they aren't really the stars of the show. They're the supporting cast. They're the big names on the show. 
but the rest of the cast is just as good as them. Those, those are three good shows I recommend. Fantastic. The Last of Us is really good. I recommend it to everyone. Y'all are going to kill me that I never even heard of that game until the show came out. Never even heard of. Well, if you're not a PlayStation person, you may not because it's a Sony product or it's a Sony sourced product. Or do they, they don't make it on Xbox. Do no, it's a Sony exclusive. Okay. I thought so. Naughty Dog makes it, but it's a Sony exclusive. But it's been a great show. I just I watched a Netflix movie called White Noise. It's got Adam Driver in it. It's pretty funny. It's weird. It's set in like the early 80s, so everybody's got like the retro clothes and stuff. It's pretty pretty funny, cool movie. He's the same typical quirky guy like that he plays in all of his all of his movie roles. Just the weird type of guy. X Files. Currently in Frasier season two, and I'm in X, still in X Files season one. There's one other show I forgot to mention that I've just started. So it's been out for several years, but I'm finally almost caught up to when the current, the new current season is going to come out. Is the Mayans? It's a spinoff from Sons of Anarchy, and so I really liked that show. But I actually think the writing and the compelling story and the different scenarios of Mayans that show is actually better than the original Sons of Anarchy. I'm about to get into that show, Your Honor, that's on Showtime with Brian Cranston. My brother speaks very highly of it, so that looks uh, that looks pretty interesting. And what's it called? It's called Your Honor. I've heard lots of good things about it, but my brother keeps telling me, you gotta watch it, you gotta go watch it, you gotta watch it. I think the only thing I've been really watching with any sort of regularity has been The Last of Us, and I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I thought, oh, another zombie show, we've seen this entire formula before, blah, blah, blah. But they found a way to make it pretty interesting and compelling, and they changed it up so that it's not just what you would expect. And Pedro Pascal does a really good job. He's a really hardworking man between The Mandalorian and this, and there was something else he was in not too long ago that I saw that was Nar Narcos, where he really got his start, but just seems like he is everywhere. Oh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where he fought the mountain. Whew. Got his head crushed by the mountain. If you want an interesting video, I'm fascinated by these. GQ will put out things that are on YouTube where they will talk to an actor about their most popular roles or whatever. And they did Paul Rudd this past week because the new Ant-Man movie just came out. And I guess when The Mandalorian was starting, they did Pedro Pascal. And he talked about filming that, what it was like, and what they had to do. And it was very interesting. So... Maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's worth your time. It's good stuff. And I forgot that he got his start on as a random vampire on Buffy the Vampire Slayer back on this WB back in the day. 20 years ago, he showed up as one when she was going through an existential crisis and he had a conversation with her for the whole episode and then she kills him at the end. The six degrees of Kevin Bacon when it comes to Buffy. Yes. He was really good on SNL. He hosted a couple of weeks ago. And it oh, yeah. Pretty top notch. That's been really hit or miss, but his was good. I liked it a lot. Okay, if that's all you got. I think we can call it a show and we'll we'll just do it again next time. Later fellas. Later fellas. Later fellas. Later fellas. Please visit infiniteloopback.com for show notes and previous episodes. Follow us on Twitter. We're at infinloopback. That's at I-N-F-I-N loopback. I'm Brian B. That's at B-R-I-A-N-B. Jim is at Big Jim. That's at B-I-G-J-I-M. Jason is at J-S-N-Y-N-G. That's at J-S-N-Y-N-G. And Brad is at Meester Idol. That's at M-E-E-S-T-E-R-I-D-L-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.